the incomparable. Number 236, February 2015. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell. This is something that we didn't plan, but uh, we recorded this on Friday, February 27th, 2015, and uh, woke up this morning, or just as I was sitting down to work this morning, to the news that uh, Leonard Nimoy, uh, Mr. Spock, to us all, passed away today. And, uh, you know, took some time to process it and thought uh, maybe we could get some people together and talk about him a little bit for a special episode of the podcast. And so that is what you are listening to now. Joining me to talk about it are uh, my my pals. They're here with me now. David Lore. Hello. Hi. I um, I got to say this is not the way to bank episodes and get ahead on episodes, but we kind of, you know, it definitely was worth talking about. Yeah. Is your cat rummaging through things now? My cat is <laughs> rummaging through the paper again. Oh, cats. He's, he's nesting. He's nesting. Cats, ruiner of podcasts, the cats. Steve Lutz's cat just is kind enough to just poop in the room that he's in. <laughs> Quietly. Uh, also also with us, Andy Anatko. Hi, Andy. I have a cat-free silence that is sometimes like a closed tomb. That's interesting. I, I, what is the sound of no cats playing? Very zen. Exactly. Well, it's it's actually it's not so much. I have no cats. I have cat and no cat in opposite hands at the same time. One of them's dead. <laughs> one of them's alive. Yeah, no. indeed. And uh, also, of course, we're talking about things related to Star Trek. Scott McNulty has has uh, has pulled himself out of his sick bed to join us. Hi, Scott. Well, I, I wish it was a, a better topic I know. or a happier topic, I yeah. should say. Um, but I'm happy to be here. So. You know, I don't. Uh, obviously, we don't have a really, really a plan here. I, I, maybe a good place to start would be to for for everybody to talk about um, what uh, you know what Mr. Spock or Leonard Nimoy or both meant to them. I think that I think that might be a nice way to 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 remember him at least as a start. Um, I'll point out uh, just going first my. Um, I can't remember. I've said this on previous podcasts. I can't remember life before Star Trek, and I was thinking about it today. I can't remember life before knowing Star Trek. Like, you know, like every episode, cold. I I, I remember... I can't remember seeing a Star Trek episode and thinking, oh, I don't know what happens in this one. I just have no memory of that. That This is – it was a fundamental um, part of my, my childhood. And um, obviously, Mr. Spock was a huge part of that. And um, uh, it, it's um, – so on, on that level, yeah, part of this is me thinking back to my childhood and, and, and losing uh, a, a person who was uh, – a very important part of it um, because that was just it affected me so much to have uh, that the Star Trek and Kirk and Spock and McCoy were just they were friends they were they were people I looked up to they were people I modeled myself after on the on the playground right I mean it pretty <laughs> pretty dramatic and then through the years through the the Star Trek films when I was a, a teenager and uh, you know through his uh, appearances in various things uh, even as recently as uh, a couple of years ago um, just somebody that I, I thought, uh, and we can talk about this a little, a little more later. I thought handled the fact that he was going to be, he had the great luck of being attached to this amazing character. And as an actor, I think the misfortune in a way of being attached to such a, an indelible character. And yet I think he wore it well and, um, embraced the fact that he was, um, going to be associated with this character and of all the characters to be associated with pretty good one. So, um, but definitely, um, 
definitely an emotional moment this morning in hearing. I mean, we'd heard that he had been taken to the hospital and and not a lot more after that. And I thought that's, you know, that's I, I've been there. I've been my father was uh, born the same year as Leonard Nimoy, only a couple months earlier and had COPD um, just like Leonard Nimoy. And that that uh, earlier this week when we heard the story that he had been taken to the hospital, I had that moment of like, I this I know what's going to happen now. I've, I've been in that place where his family was. And so still very sad to receive the news. Scott, what about you? What's your uh, what, what's what's your story of how you uh, discovered and 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 uh, and interacted with Leonard Nimoy and, and Mr. Spock? Uh, well, I I think he was around before I discovered him. But um, <laughs> well, no, uh, you're a talent scout with a time machine, true. clearly. And you said this kid was, Lenny from Boston, he's going places. Right. You're going places, kid. Put these ears on. <laughs> Don't ask any questions. Uh, well, I mean, just like you, I think Jason, we've we've talked about this before. Uh, I also don't remember a time in my life where I wasn't a Star Trek fan. Uh, and I was asking my mom about this a couple weeks ago. Uh, and she said, well, yeah, you were always watching Star Trek. Uh, I don't know when you started, but uh, she wasn't a Star Trek fan. So I think it was just, you know, in syndication forever, probably on like Channel 11 in New York. And I would watch it over and over again. And of course, I mean, you know, Spock is... Uh, I mean, Kirk and Spock, right? They have this great friendship. Uh, Spock plays this kind of outsider uh, that probably appeals to many people mm. who find an affiliation with Star Trek. Uh, I can uh, paint with a broad broad brush and uh, say that maybe some of the fans of Star Trek are, are a little nerdy and maybe feel slightly outcast, uh, uh, especially in, you know, grammar school and, and, and that kind of thing. And you find this character, Spock, who has, uh, you know, he, he is unlike everybody else on the bridge, uh, but he is still uh, respected and he gets his job done. Uh, and so, I mean, I, I think that that is part of the reason that Spock is so popular. Um and and why he appealed to me so much. I don't know if, if Spock is my, my favorite Star Trek character, but certainly uh, he is near the top. Andy, how about you? I wasn't, as a kid, I wasn't a huge Star Trek fan, but I was definitely a Spock fan, if that makes sense. It was whenever I was watching that show, it was always to see Leonard Nimoy's scenes in it. And I think it's because of it's later in life when you're an adult and you have a little bit of a wider awareness of uh, how – TV and how movies work, you really appreciate why your attention is drawn to Nimoy because you've got the you've got the triumvirate of Spock, McCoy, and Kirk, and Kirk is being <laughs> is being Shatner, and McCoy has his voice and he's always <laughs> reading like this, and Spock is the one who's mm. quiet, and they has to they have to build his levels up, and he'll always pause a little bit. He will react sometimes not by saying anything but simply giving a glance an and eyebrow. raising an eyebrow <laughs> because that's all you need to do sometimes. And he really was for me like the anchor of that entire show and everything that else has been said is I agree with completely because you're sort of gravity you sort of gravitate toward these people. You you identify the 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 one in any group that is not like all the others. And the ones who can not only is doesn't have to pretend to be like the rest and can even openly say, I will never understand you people ever. There's I, I wish I wish I could understand why you behave the way you do. I don't. And but I'm still going to work with you. I'm still going to call you my friends. But let's acknowledge that there's that there's 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 parts of these puzzles that I will never, ever figure out. And to hear somebody on TV, a lead role in t on TV, say that explicitly uh, for a lot of for a lot of people who are fans of Star Trek, uh, myself included, really, <laughs> you you really can gravitate towards that character. David, what about you? Yeah, I, I'm right with you. I 
can't remember a time before, yeah, before Star Trek. Uh, you know, I had the action figures when I was three or four or whatever, and and I would I would make up my own stories mm. with the Enterprise playset, and I made up my own. It came with cards for the view screen, right? You had three cards with two pictures, one on each side, and you could hang them up on the view screen and make your adventures. I would make my own cards, so I had huh. you know, like thirty That's of them, awesome. right? all these adventures, and um, you know that was. That's that's the earliest I can remember of making original stories. You know, I mean, I, I kind of knew I was going to be a writer anyway, but that when I think back, you know, what's the earliest thing I remember writing? That was it. And uh, I read a really, really good uh, piece today by Jamie Weinman uh, from McLean's Magazine in Canada. And he said that there was just something about Spock and something about what Nimoy imbued Spock with. Uh, that wasn't on the page. It wasn't in Roddenberry's original version. Uh, you know, it wasn't this red-skinned Martian with a hot temper like the original concept or, or you know. And and really in the, the original pilot, right? The, right. the women! And, <laughs> the women! And, and there's just something about whatever it was that he brought to the character and, and made it his own that we on the outside wanted to write fan fiction. We wanted to... to uncover the rest of his story. We wanted mm. him and Kirk to be uh, more than just friends, perhaps de- depending on the Some fan fiction, fiction yeah. writers did want that. <laughs> um, and, you know, I can't think of, I mean, you, you can, you can look back at uh, famous teams, right? You know, the Lone Ranger and Tonto and Holmes and Watson, but they're not always really equal the way Kirk and Spock are. And they don't always have a third like McCoy. I always, I always, thought of them as 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 the three right. I, I can't quite it's the the balance isn't right without any one of those three mm-hmm. and but but there's just something about them that inspired this kind of outpouring of fan fiction and this you know the letter writing campaigns and the conventions and the syndication and and imagine the serendipity of that you know if if they had cast martin landau as spock he would have been really good, sure, because he's Martin Landau. But would it have been the same? Would mm. it have, you know, there's just something about the alchemy of those three actors and those three roles that sparked something. And we all wanted to tell stories with them. So I, I just read the volume one of These Are the Voyages, which I know Scott has read. Uh, by, uh, I have not read it. I oh, no, you buy Yeah, Scott has it, and you should read it because it's good. And I've bought it now. Uh, Mark Cushman's book uh, that is, again, I hesitated to read these books because I thought that they would be, you know, sort of fanish, like uh, behind the scenes of crazy things that happen in Star Trek. And they're not they, – these are – I think these are going to end up being the source material. Like they, these are well-researched history with history books about Star Trek with lots of great tidbits, but it really is not, it is unflinching about the details. And it is absolutely true that Spock was a character that started as a sketch by Gene Roddenberry, this half Martian red skinned character that ended up being for various reasons, including just the way that color played on black and white TVs ended up having the Mm -hmm. complexion that he had and having that and a collaboration between um, Roddenberry and Leonard Nimoy, and Leonard Nimoy and the various directors, like the the Spock neck pinch came, and I believe the the Vulcan hand salute came from expediency 
while shooting mm-hmm. scenes, they were endlessly behind. And, and and Leonard Nimoy said, I don't need to punch this guy. And I don't think Pop, Spock would punch him. He would just like do a little alien thing. And they invented the famous Spock neck pinch from that. And then Dorothy Fontana, who um, is a, a fantastic star of these books because um, you you discovered what, what the fortitude she must have had to go from being thought of as Gene Roddenberry's secretary to essentially being the best writer on the series and responsible for so much of it. Um, you know, she she invented lots of Vulcan stuff, too. So this character built over time. But what's also fascinating, uh, that's a very Spock word, fascinating, um, <laughs> is that... It was clear from the very beginning. And, and, you know, there's a lot of uh, stories about some NBC executives saying get rid of the guy with the ears. But the executive who worked with Desilu on the first season of of, of Star Trek from the, the start was saying... Oh, you gotta, you gotta give me more Spock to use a line from a Doctor Who episode. Give me more Spock because it was just clear that this character was different and interesting. And I think David, that dynamic of the uh, eventually the trio, because they they went through several episodes before they they brought in DeForest Kelly, um, that that was the thing that made this character um, or made the show work was like Spock Spock added something to a traditional action hero and maybe his traditional sort of confidant that was not something we had seen before and it really was the magic that made that thing work oh yeah and and very few things have been able to duplicate that even just the the template of it um you know i i I was thinking about the the man from uncle earlier today and thinking about you know okay here again is your your conflict between the american spy and the russian spy and they they butt heads sometimes but they're they're a team and they work together and and they're apparently going to draw that out more in the new movie based on the the trailer, but it's still not quite the same. You you never saw Napoleon Solo and Ilya Kiriakin argue about tactics and argue about morality the way you saw Kirk and Spock. Hmm. You didn't see that in in light action shows in the sixties. Um, and and I remember when I when I started paying attention. I mean, again, I always you know I'm just like you. I had the the, there, there's never been a time where where I went, hey, I don't know this episode, right. except with the animated show, maybe. Uh, and even then, it's more that I've forgotten them instead of seeing them over and over again every year. Um, but I remember when I started paying attention to things like credits and uh, writing credits and cast credits and and being very confused that the first season, DeForest Kelly isn't in the opening credits. Right. It's just Shatner and Nimoy. And that just seemed wrong. Um so yeah, the the it's amazing how that came together. Yeah, the triumvirate. I mean, you could argue. I mean, some of some of this is is that triumvirate was was the magic the magic sauce, the secret sauce, and and even in the J.J. Abrams movies, you can see with different actors, it's like boy, that is a powerful set of characters, and having them the way they complement and critique one another is really powerful, uh, re- re- regardless of who's playing them. But you know that doesn't give enough credit to the fact that Spock, as we as we see him, is a product of Leonard Nimoy and. Dorothy Fontana and Gene Roddenberry and Gene Kuhn and a bunch of other people who made the original Star Trek. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit uh, about how other reasons why we why why do we find Spock so iconic? Because this is one of those things that this is a show that's been that that aired uh, forty nine almost coming up fifty forty nine years ago, mm. and um, to this day. 
in some ways, even with all the series that have passed in the meantime of Star Trek, uh, Mr. Spock, there's just something about Mr. Spock that, that Star Trek is Mr. Spock in some ways. Like if you had to boil it down to one thing, it would be a picture of Mr. Spock, probably from a mock time, giving the Vulcan hand gesture. That would kind of be the boiling down of Star Trek to one <laughs> thing. Why is that? Scott, you know, why, 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 why does it come back to Spock? Well, I think a lot of credit obviously goes to Leonard Nimoy and his performance, but also, uh, if you think about it, Spock has a lot of catchphrases and things that are easy to replicate, right? You can do a little, the hand sign, mm-hmm. you can say live long and prosper, uh, fascinating. and yes. fascinating. Intriguing. He has the, 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 um, eyebrow lift, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a lot. I if, can do that. You... I learned to do that because I wanted to do that like Mr. Spock. <laughs> well, see, there you go. And I think that's part of, I mean, that's not the only reason, but I think that's part of what makes the character so attractive. Uh, if you want to pretend, try to pretend that you are someone on uh, the Enterprise, uh, I guess you could, like, punch someone and pretend you're Captain Kirk. <laughs> Put the two or... hands together and hit them in the back and do that thing. <laughs> exactly. You or you could say shirt. live long and prosper, right? right. Or you do like a, a Scottish a accent, but that's hard. <laughs> it is hard. It is hard. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, I think I think that's true. He, he is. I mean, that's when I say why is Spike, Spock so iconic? That is one of the reasons, right, is that he has things he says and that nobody else says. He's got the ears and he's got the raised eyebrow and all of these things that that were this collaboration from all of those people. Um, it is also interesting. And Scott, since you take these voyages every week with random Trek, every Star Trek show, I feel like has a Spock like like that was the one oh, thing yeah. that that <laughs> yes. was very clear is say what you will about the future the the future Star Trek series every single one of them has at least one Spock figure you can't have a Star Trek without an outsider who is intrigued by the human condition you can't right because that lets the writers uh you know kind of telegraph things about the human condition and makes an easy hook for them uh to you know have a character react to the wacky things these humans are doing what i my theory about why Spock endures where, I mean, Data and Odo and Worf are wonderful, and I love them too. But, you know, uh, we and don't to have Paul And Tuvok and Seven oh, of yeah. Nine and all the other Spock characters that are out there. But, but, but all the other Vulcans are just doing their Yeah, Spock they're just doing Spock. <laughs> yeah, that's, for, that's but, true. But, I, but it's sort of like we don't have androids, we don't have Klingons, we don't have shapeshifters. But except for the ears, Spock could pass for human. Right? Right. We know people like Spock. Yeah, That's maybe true. we know people like Data and, and Odo too, but they look too alien to us. But Spock, he just puts on a stocking cap, and, and if anyone notices, they go, oh, it was a rice picker. <laughs> or, a, or a headband made from ripping off part of a robe <laughs> in Star Trek Four, Which is also hard to do. Thank you to our friends at MailRoute for sponsoring The Incomparable this week. Uh, I've been using MailRoute for a while. MailRoute is a service that filters spam and viruses and bounced emails out of your inbox before it even gets to your inbox. The way MailRoute works, it works in the cloud. It takes in all the mail that's headed your way, uses its intelligent processing to filter out the bad stuff, and that never gets to you. Then it passes everything else on to your mail server, and that's what you see. It works great. 
Um, I get a little email every uh, day that shows me what it's filtered out. That's optional. You can set it to be every day, every week, or not at all. Uh, One click delivers anything that was filtered out by mistake, but that almost never happens. Um, It's incredibly rare. Maybe once a month I see something in there that might be real. Uh, Generally, it's just an opportunity for me to laugh at the crazy spam messages that I'm no longer seeing just by their subject line. Anyway, MailRoute filters your mail. You never see the junk anymore. Works great. I've been using it for more than a year now. It's easy to set up. It's reliable. It's trusted by the largest universities and corporations. Uh, Email administrators and IT professionals will love the tools that MailRoute provides, including an API for easy account management, LDAP Active Directory support, TLS, mail bagging, outbound relay, everything you'd want from the people who handle your mail. So start a risk-free trial today. That's right. You don't have to put down a credit card. You just sign up. You change your MX records on your server so that mail is delivered to MailRoute first and then passed on to your main mail server. Your mailbox and hardware are completely protected. You don't have to install anything anywhere. It's simple and effective, and there's no reason not to try it. So all listeners of The Incomparable can receive 10% off for the lifetime of your account at MailRoute by going to MailRoute.net slash Incomparable now. And thank you so much to our friends at MailRoute for sponsoring and supporting The Incomparable. Let's also not forget that the show gave Spock the dignity of uh, pride of an identity. The data mm. has spent almost the entire series saying, I don't want to be an android. I want to be a human. I'm willing to put myself in danger. I'm willing to mm. destabilize myself because I must, must, must be more human as opposed to just being who I am. Uh, and there's just something so powerful and so, uh, I don't want to say mesmerizing, but I want to say, it, 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 so magnetic about a person who is clearly very confident in who they are, mm-hmm. very pleased with who they are, uh, willing to willing to participate in a world that they don't belong in. But I don't have to be anything other than a Vulcan. I love Data, but Data's story is one of somebody who wants to assimilate. Yes, not in the Borg way. Mm-hmm. I should say because <laughs> yes. we're talking about Star Trek. But but Spock. Spock doesn't want to do that, right? Spock, yeah. and I know that he's been a a, a source of of um, of pride and, and and somebody that that people have looked to as a as a uh, as an important figure um, because he is an outsider. But also, Spock is proud of who he is, and although it's problematic, and he has this great tension between his humanity and his Vulcanness. Spock is not trying to be human. I mean, sometimes he's trying to be Vulcan, which is interesting from the perspective of of us humans, that he's trying to reject the parts of him who are us. But that's a very different combination of traits than something like Data, who really desperately is just so eager to please to be, I'm going to get Joe Piscopo to teach me how to tell jokes. (laughs) And Spock, you know, Spock does, we want to see him be human, and he does not want to do it. And I, I think that's part of the magic of it. Right. There, there's that tension that we want to see him break. We we love that moment in uh, The Side of Paradise where he's laughing. He's laughing. That's not Spock, yeah. but it is Spock, right? The other thing is almost all of them, except for Spock, they're all justifying their existence or trying to figure out who they are, right? Odo doesn't know where he comes from at the at the beginning of Deep Space Nine. Right, Data has to prove that he's he's worth that that he's not just a robot. There's a court right? case, in fact, in, in the court. You can case. cite some yeah. precedent. Um, you know, uh, Seven of Nine has to reclaim her humanity and and discover who she was and recover those memories. Whereas Spock knows who he is, and that's just who he is. And you have to deal with it. 
But he still has that struggle of kind of his human half and his Vulcan yes. half, right? And, yes. and like Jason was saying, he's kind of rejected his human half and he's uh, much like Worf, right? Worf raised by humans and then he his reaction is, I'm going to be super Klingon. Uh, uh, and, and then Spock, he's shunned like, was, and yeah, all right. that stuff. stuff, yeah. That started with Spock being, you know, I'm half human, but I'm going to be a super Vulcan. I'm going to be the most Vulcan Vulcan that you can Vulcan because uh, I'm going to show these people. <laughs> I was reading a um, uh, Star Trek fan club uh, scan that somebody put in, uh, put, posted on Twitter today that was um, uh, written by a girl who was uh, who had a black parent and a white parent and was saying, you know, I feel like I understand Spock's, uh, you know, Spock's situation and on on one level again this is the one of the great appeals of spock is that he is an outsider and if you feel outside of society in any way whether it's because you're a geeky kind of person or whether because it's something much more complicated and difficult than that in you know late 60s america especially but you know forever this is this is a, a character who can appeal to you but what really struck me about it is the way he described and this is just Leonard Nimoy sort of with his own internal backstory about what motivates Spock saying that when Spock was a child, you know, growing up on Vulcan, he, he dealt with those same issues. And I thought that was fascinating because those, those scenes are in JJ Abrams, Star Trek. We see young Spock being really brutally mistreated by other Vulcans because he's not a real Vulcan. And, uh, that has led me to a greater appreciation of that character, actually. But I, I was shocked to find that it's all there in Leonard Nimoy's assumptions about who Spock is in the 60s, that he was horribly treated by the other Vulcans when he was a kid. And then it's and then to see it uh, writ large in the J.J. Abrams movie really made me appreciate that. I, I think that J.J. Abrams' Star Trek goes along. It it. I mean, that's a movie about Spock. That is a, Spock is, you could argue that Zachary Quinto's Spock in that Star Trek movie is the main character. And if you throw in Leonard Nimoy on top of it, it's really a movie about Spock and how, you know, finding Kirk helps uh, set him on the right course. And, uh, but it does a lot for Spock's character, which I think is unexpected. Uh, I didn't expect it. Well, and, and some of that is in the yesteryear animated episode by DC Fontana, Fontana, which, you know, is, is Spock's childhood. And again, mockery and wanting to run away and uh which is a wonderful i mean there there are some good episodes in the animated show that's the only one i would put up with the rest yeah, of i think everybody Trek. would would say that that's like we'll we'll count scott you can you can put that one in your spreadsheet for <laughs> random Trek. just that I, one i will do it no <laughs> no i don't Let's stick to the rules i don't blame you Sli- yeah slippery slope. it's good slippery slope <laughs> Um, let's see. What else did I want to talk about? I mean, we should talk about, so we talked about, uh, the, the original series a lot. I'd like to talk a little bit about the, the movies. It's obviously, um, Leonard Nimoy had a fraught relationship. I think he came to terms with it after a long time, but of course, obviously in the seventies, he wrote, I am not Spock. Um, he, he tried to distance himself from the part. My understanding is that he was, he refused to be in the phase two series they were going to do in the seventies. And, um, the guy who, the Vulcan who dies in the horrible transporter accident in Star Trek, the motion picture is essentially the character that would have been the Spock replacement if that had been a series. Um, but since it was a movie and Leonard Nimoy agreed to be in it, then they wrote Spock back into it. But, you know, and then he told them to kill him in Star Trek two. 
uh, which is funny because then he obviously thought better of it after Star Trek <laughs> Two was so good. But uh, it does lead to some of the most amazing. I mean, if we didn't appreciate Spock from the original series, I think we would appreciate Spock from Star Trek Two. He is the captain of the Enterprise. He gives up his seat. Um, he makes the supreme sacrifice at the end of the movie in order to save the crew. Um, and in doing so, yeah, he's serving Captain Kirk's character arc of being uh, sort of accepting of his own mortality. But uh, uh, that that movie, I mean, I remember sobbing in the movie, uncontrollably in the movie theater mm-hmm. when I saw Star Trek. I've never done that in any movie ever other than mm-hmm. that one. Mm-hmm. So that, yep. that lends to the legend, I think, too, that the, Star Trek Two, for all of the, the fact that it's supposed to be about Kirk accepting mortality, it is, it is also, you know, it is Spock and Spock giving into it. Well, they're they're so intertwined. Yeah, you know. I mean, the, I, I I saw a couple of people mention this earlier, and and I, it, arguably, I would say, yeah, it that scene that that you know, just the last fifteen minutes of that is maybe the best acting, certainly Shatner, but maybe even Nimoy ever did. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just beautiful, and and it, part of that is the richness and depth of of the history of the characters, right. I, I I had two, I would have two, but I I I enjoyed that scene. What I liked more, though, in, in terms of uh, uh, best Spock like acted scenes, I I actually have to, have to go to the, the Abrams reboot where you have Spock. There's nothing really dramatic about his scene. Like if you're playing a death scene, you know that you got a lot of protein to work with. You, you, you know you know that you can really it's a fat pitch right down the middle. It's going over the outside the stadium wall if you want to swing it that way. This his scenes though in the reboot, I just love the scene of an elderly 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 Spock giving advice to himself as a young person in a, mm. in, in a sense yeah. and saying that really the most one of the most valuable things that I had in my entire life was my friendship with this man called Kirk. And I would like for you to pursue to see if you can have a friendship that will be as valuable to you as mine was to me. Because at this point, Leonard Nimoy is elderly Mm -hmm. and he is probably in a position where he is spending more time looking backwards than looking forward. And maybe – I don't know if he was channeling anything of himself in that role, but it was so authentic that if you could give yourself a piece of advice at age 23, 24, 25, what would you pick? And I think most people – would say that you're going to meet a woman in three or four years and her name is Debbie and she's going to change your entire life. And whatever you're going through, whatever hardship that you're going to face, realize that you're going to have a great life because of this person. And it was such a simple delivery of simple lines. And that's what a great actor does. I don't know how yes. he couldn't channel himself. He, you know, the, the scene where in the snow cave where he, he meets Chris Pine. Leonard Nimoy, from the perspective of what? 45 years after he was in Star Trek, or after he started in Star Trek, and 40 years after he finished in Star Trek, is is talking to a 28-year-old actor who is playing James T. Kirk. How can you, I mean, how can you not channel the idea that um i mean he was old spock right <laughs> he's like literally i i am i come from your future and let me tell you being young captain kirk and dealing with young mr spock is pretty great um but it is it is i, I said this earlier it is one of the really um surprising things in that movie that makes me like that first jj abrams movie so much is that yeah. it is um it is 
Mr. Spock is not a is not a gimmick. Old Mr. Spock is not a gimmick in that movie. He is the thing that causes the movie to exist, and they have the split timelines and all of that. But it's not. He's not just in it as a. He could so easily be in it as a plot device and a wink. Mm-hmm. And yeah. he's not. He is set like you said, Andy. He's setting those characters on a course. And it is yes, it is Leonard Nimoy blessing this new generation of Star Trek actors. But it is also old Mister Spock saying, "Trust me, you guys are going to go places." And it is you know. And then he you know invents the crazy transporter, or whatever, and teaches Scotty how to do that, <laughs> and he gets the plot moving along too. But it is um, it is way more. In fact, somebody on Twitter today said, "I I'm hoping that they will." that they can service the classic Star Wars actors as well as they treated Spock when they bring them back for episode seven. Because it's, you know, J.J. Abrams, it's the same thing. You're taking these iconic actors and bringing them into a a place where they're not acting with their own young selves, presumably. I don't think there's a time travel paradox in Star Wars (laughs) episode seven. Uh, But still, the idea that you treat those actors and their iconic parts with with respect, and they're not just in there to wave at you and then move out of the way, but they're there to do something important. And that that was, I think, the greatest gift that we got with that J.J. Abrams Star Trek movie was that Spock was not window dressing. He was really important, and it gave Leonard Nimoy something powerful to do and he did it yeah like in into darkness he's a plot device yeah although it is yeah. I, it is it's, funny it's fine it is very funny it's literally like young mr spock is peeking to the end he's like can you get the old spock on the radio because i want to I, right. I need to ask him how star trek 2 ends <laughs> 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 but uh but it's just yeah yeah it's uh th- those are great i agree with you andy those are great spock moments i love the pain yeah. that when he watches um vulcan get destroyed um, you know, from his perspective, it's like, this shouldn't be happening. I can't believe this is happening. Um, and that's the reason Nero destroys Vulcan in that movie is because he wants to make Mr. Spock watch basically. Um, right. and he's, and he, and he, he gets to express his emotions to Chris Pine and say, I am emotionally compromised. I just saw my planet die. And, and, you know, that then registers with Zachary Quinto, but, but Leonard Nimoy already feels it. Zachary Quinto has to have it pulled to the surface by Chris Pine, but Leonard Nimoy as Spock, he it's all there on the surface and that's a really powerful scene. That that that, that is some of the best Spock. I thought I always thought unification in the next generation was essentially going to be the last we ever saw of Leonard Nimoy as Spock because I think that's the last thing he had shot. He shot that after Star Trek 6. Um and I was very happy that <laughs> that there was something more cuz <laughs> unification not that good. Can we yeah. say that? No, no, no. It's not. not that, we can say that. It's no. not. It's not that good, Scott. One of these days, you're going to have to do like a two-hour episode of Random Trek about unification. That's true. I hope my name doesn't come up for that one. Yeah. Uh, I'll pencil you in. But but uh, Romulans have great shoulder pads. We know that. <laughs> Are there other it's famous true. Spock scenes? That, our favorite Spock scenes you want to talk about? Great moments in 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 Mr. Spock. Well. If we're sticking with the movies, uh, I have a, a big soft spot for Star Trek IV. Oh, yeah. yeah. And uh, having, you know, Spock uh, mind meld with a whale. Yes. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, not understanding. Uh, he's like a hippie. How, how, he's, he's very confused. Because he, he, just just re- he just got resurrected. So he's a little bit yes. goofy in Star Trek He wanders IV. off into the uh, the bushes. Yeah. He, it's his way. It's his way. <laughs> Well, double dumbass on you and double so forth. dumbass. Yes, <laughs> yes, no. Colorful yes, metaphors. No. Yes, no. Yes, I like Italian, and so do you. Yes, yes. yes. 
I, I love the end of Amok Time where he realizes that Kirk yeah. is still alive. I mean, all of Amok Time mm. is beautiful, but just that moment of Jim. Jim! But the smile. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna wind it back. So Amok Time, uh, one of, maybe my favorite scene in all the original series is the scene right before that, which is where, yes. where and this yes. is the everybody's That's posting. That's what made this. me a Star Trek. Everybody fan. posts that picture. I have it on a magnet on my refrigerator of him with the with the Vulcan hand gesture with the kind of like. A spinal tap stonehenge uh, uh, uh styrofoam <laughs> rock behind him from the cyclorama set that they that they were on that's that's the battlefield of mount Sileia. Come yeah, on. yeah sure it is although yeah watch the remastered versions they do these crazy like cgi oh, yeah. vulcan landscapes Those are nuts. it's, it's cra- with little cgi people it's amazing but anyway that scene is so tragic and yeah it's reversed because it turns out kirk's not dead but um, everybody but he doesn't know that. everybody who who watches that and is like, oh look, it's Mr. Spock giving a live long and prosper. He, this is the where where Tapau says live long and prosper, and he says, I have killed my captain and my friend. I shall do neither. It is like ripping yeah. his heart out. It is the yeah. it is the tragic low point of Mr. Spock. He is his life is over, but he's giving the hand gesture, and it's such a powerful scene. Immediately followed by him doing the big grin while McCoy <laughs> and Chapel. It's like the comedy routine. We're like, but. Wait, but wait, but wait. And he's like, no, no, doctor. I must resign immediately. But wait, Spock. No, no. I must do it right now. And William Shatner comes up behind him and goes, what's he going to do? He's a super powerful Vulcan. He could chop you in half if you take him by surprise. Are we going to give you crap for oh, this man. for a long time, You're going to hear about it. But I love, I, love, I love both those scenes. Those are two of the best. Was that an emotional reaction, Spock? Uh, I'm just simply uh, glad that Starfleet has not uh, lost a qualified officer, a very capable <laughs> officer, sir. <laughs> I was thinking, I, I think there's not one month out of my life ever since the first time I saw that as a kid where I've not just spontaneously thought of that exchange. I, I, mm. I, I can even tell you the last time it happened, it was four or five nights ago, and I was in the parking lot of a grocery store about to like drive back home. And for some reason, my thought process were going here, there, and everywhere. And just I just think of that line reading saying, I have killed my captain friend. Clearly, I shall do neither. Yeah. Ooh, Ooh. ouch. Quiet. And, and again, you, I, I can see the quiver in his voice. I can see that he is just numb with grief and remorse and shock at what he's done. And it's all done on this really terrible Desi Lu set that just it's 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 like it's like packaging material and trying to be should be heard like throughout the it's like oh what a good achievement this this was the, again I, I never I never became a really like involved fan of Star Trek but that was this not just this episode not just the scene but that was the line that uh-huh. said forevermore this is a worthy worthy show and at some point I'm going to enjoy watching yeah. this yeah another another one of those scenes that I love that that again is a huge scene, a huge moment is when, uh, when Edith Keeler dies. Oh, yeah. right. Because he's the one who's like, wait. And, and, but Kirk is like, no. Ah, and maybe that's not what Harlan Ellison wanted, but right. it worked. Right. Well, they, what, yeah. Um, they, what, they, you, it Cap- worked Captain Kirk has to hold McCoy back there. Right. Even though Spock could yeah. totally do it. And that would be fine too. Cause it needs to be that moment where, where Kirk makes the thing. Well, that moment of, uh, I could have saved her. And, and he just says, he knows doctor, he knows. Yeah. It's like that, and, and uh, just the, the whole, you know, once, once Spock realizes what's going on with, with Jim through that whole episode, just again, that, that's a, huge moment in their relationship right well they're they're stranded in the past together and they're they're like having to get to odd jobs and spock spock keeps uh captain kirk goes to work spock stays back at home 
<laughs> when Captain Kirk gets ham radio. Yeah, when Captain Kirk gets home, he nags Captain Kirk about how he does not have enough money to get a sufficient quantity of platinum. Uh, and is using snow, stone knives and bear skins to try and get the tricorder to work. Just hilarious. That, that, so, so, you know, funny Spock. Funny Spock is also also really good. That the the, yeah, the, dry the driest mm. oh bone dry right where where he needles Doctor McCoy because um, we we all remember Doctor McCoy. Ah, Spock, you're green blooded. Ah, right. <laughs> but green blooded hobgoblin. But but then you know. Then Spock turns and just raises an eyebrow, and it's like, "Whoa, okay, it's just so so powerful." Think about the the lengths he went to for uh, Christopher Pike. You know, it's not he, Kirk is not the only captain he's had an right. intense relationship with. Sure, it's just that's the one we got to see. Right in the in the menagerie in the menagerie, we we see Spock uh, steal the Enterprise, and basically he's the villain in that for a long time. Of why is Spock yeah. doing this? And it turns out he's doing it for for uh, for loyalty to uh, his former captain. Which I think Kirk's like, all right, well, I get that. <laughs> you know, it's good. <laughs> Be loyal to your captain. I approve. <laughs> uh, I'd like to. I'd like to read the newsletter on that. That's. Uh, I, 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 and then of course we have the mirror mirror universe actual oh, evil Spock. Weird, the, yes. The, the Is he actually team. evil, Scott? Though, well, no, but he's probably the best character, oh. the less, the least evil character yeah. in the mirror mirror universe. No, he's reasonable, right? Kirk gives him the pitch, like you could overthrow this thing, <laughs> you could take this whole place over. I will consider it, he says. But the, the Spock with the beard too. Also, defining the classic, uh, your evil duplicate has a beard moment. <laughs> exactly. I'll, I'll come yeah. From that. Yeah. Yeah, no, Spock is the, the, the one of the nice things well, about that episode. Logical. Right. One of the nice things about that episode, right, is that everybody else is just kind of monstrous. And then you're like, whoa, what's going to happen to Spock? And the answer is, actually, it's Spock, right? He's <laughs> He has a goatee, but yeah. he's still Spock. Yeah. Well, social pressure made him grow the goatee. Well, it's true. So Leonard Nimoy, um, obviously, before... Before he was in Star Trek, he was not only was in a Twilight Zone episode, a bunch of other TV. He was doing somewhat experimental theater in L.A. Um, and, and fairly well regarded at that. Um, and then after being Mr. Spock, you know, he was a guest star in an episode of T.J. Hooker. He was the narrator of of uh, In Search of Columbo. Well, Columbo, yeah. As soon as Star Trek ended, he went down the hall to, Mission, to Desilu's Mission, Mission Impossible, Impossible, right? Where again, he's sidekick to a guy named Jim. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's weird. That's really weird. But uh, so, um, what I wanted to get at is uh, a little bit. We could talk a little bit about the um, the challenges of an actor in an indelible role. I, I, I talked about this a little bit earlier on a TV talk machine with Tim Goodman, but um, I wanted to bring it up here too, which is I think he, he, he made his peace with it. And, and the greatest thing you could do as an actor on one level is to have this role of a lifetime. Right. But as a working actor who needs to support oneself, having a role of a lifetime when you're 30 um, is, or 25 is, is um, pretty difficult if you've got the rest of your career to live it down, even if it was the role of a lifetime. And I think it's, um, I think it says a lot about Leonard Nimoy as a person that in the end, I feel like he really accepted the good of, 
of having of having that part and and of having Mr. Spock in his life. Um, but it definitely seems to like a, a rough ride. I mean, in addition to I am not Spock, um, I, I I'm amused that uh, what is it? James Blish wrote the novel. Uh, Spock must die. Yeah, <laughs> it was like boy, there's a lot of ag- it's not three feet away. From a lot me. of aggression at Mr. Spock in the, yeah. from people in the '70s, and then they killed him. Oh. And it's, you know, it's funny because you, you, again, you have that sort of Desilu casting thing of Martin Lando and Leonard Nimoy, Martin Lando and Leonard Nimoy. And Martin Lando was almost Spock. And then when Martin Lando left Mission Impossible, suddenly it's Leonard Nimoy playing the, the guy who puts on the masks and he's different in every episode. And he doesn't actually have a character. That's part of why he left the show is that there was no character for him. He was always someone else. But, you know, part of it was he wanted to show the versatility and what's what's always been interesting to me is that Martin Landau really does kind of sink into all these things that he does in the first three years of Mission Impossible. And every time you see Leonard Nimoy in costume, he's good, but he's still clearly Leonard Nimoy, which is really kind of weird. And and again, you know, maybe it's that Spockness coming out. I don't know. Um, now, I've seen him in lots of other things since then, obviously. Uh, he did a, a one-man show about Vincent van Gogh where he played his brother Theo and he he actually wrote the play, and it's fantastic. It's a lovely night of theater, and there is a recording of it that you can order at Amazon, I think. Um, and and you know he's not at all Spock in that. He's he's very clearly Theo Van Gogh. So you know he he could do it. It's just I, maybe he wasn't ready the two years after Star Trek. Maybe he was still wet behind the ears, so to speak. But as the seventies and eighties went on, he. He he was able to do more things. And, and you know, he might not have been able to do the Van Gogh thing if it hadn't been for the cushion of having Star Trek to support him and to have the the money from Star Trek and have the fans from Star Trek come out and see because, like, hey, here's here's our guy and he's doing something else. And this is a really good show, too. It, it is this strange – it's a fascinating thing. The, the being, being such a uh... – grabbing a role like this and then also being stuck with a role like this <laughs> it's just it is an amazing combination of things and that you know he ended up writing i am spock and embracing it but he had so much else and he did and he turned he turned his artistic uh energy toward photography and other things like that i i, I think you know it, it is interesting that he probably if he was never mr spock he probably would have had a much more varied career as an actor but yeah. he, you know, instead he got to be Mister Spock, and you know, bought him a house in Bel Air, and I, I think he, you know, he, I think he did okay. But um, I really enjoyed that J.J. Um, Abrams and company, since they knew him from uh, working on Star Trek, uh, the the two thousand nine version, uh, put him in Fringe. Um, as one in of a his very different roles, as one of his, yeah, as a somewhat evil, somewhat misunderstood, um, maybe mad scientist sort of thing, but uh, I, I thought that was actually, I thought he did a really great job in Fringe, and I, I loved the fact that it was a character that you hadn't, you you had only heard about for years, and then you know he emerges and it's Leonard Nimoy, and you're like, what? <laughs> and it's a it's a really wonderful moment. And at that point, he had he had already basically quote unquote retired from acting, and uh, and then here he is on Fringe, and and it was a lot of fun to see him do something else. And it, it was one of those moments of like, oh, you know, he could have been in lots of other things before that, but there was always sort of you know, was Mr. Spock in the way? I don't know. And 
and it was an evil mirror universe. Yes, well. I mean, come on. <laughs> With yeah, that his role in Columbo was very, very much Mr. Spock, mm. where the entire the entire episode he is he also uses he doesn't quite use the voice, but he's always the person who's speaking through tented fingers on the other side of the table. He is the murderer, but he doesn't let his emotions get to him. As a matter of fact, the and Columbo is absolutely baffled until the very, very end, where he recalls, "Wait a minute, that one time when the doctor freaked out and assaulted me." He must have been doing that to cover up something, and that's when he—that's when he nailed yeah. him. So it was a very Spock-like role. When he's—he's he's always explaining very rationally. Don't you understand, Columbo? This is what must have happened, right? He's—he's yeah. he's always trying to do that. That—that that actually is one of my favorite Columbo moments, where the uh, as, as they're carrying away the murder weapon, which is is a tire iron, I think. And Columbo says, "Hang on," and he kind of looks at it for a second. And he takes a hard-boiled egg out of his pocket and cracks it against the thing is okay yeah keep going but that but that was not that was uh it was uh, so many really great moments from that uh, from that episode one of them is one of the most intense moments between columbo and any other actor in the entire series oh, yeah because yeah. he is she is his the way the columbo works on suspects is working on their emotions and trying to like rattle them a little bit he finally gets this guy who is absolutely impossible to rattle because he's just being stoic throughout the entire thing and then you add this other thing where it's not just this one murder that he's investigating he has discovered that Leonard Nimoy's character has intentionally botched a surgery that happened a week ago so that this guy is going to die in a few days and it will look like it was just like a heart attack. And so now he has to make sure that this doctor is going to bring that patient back in and fix it. So after he tries every single trick he can possibly think of to like get this guy so scared, so he's like, I, be- I, be- I better fix this and, and find an excuse. Columbus is finally like his patient just nods and then picks up a water pitcher and then sl- Slams it on the desk in front of Nimoy and says, drops the entire like, oh, I'm just a dumb rumpled detective. Sense. Mm. Look, if, if that if that guy dies, there's going to have to be an autopsy. You know, that's going to happen. And I'm going to be there watching you every step of the way, doctor. And then he schedules a surgery again, being stoic and being very, very Spock like. It was very few yeah. people I think could really have actors could have stood up to that kind of performance and still no flinch. I'm gonna I'm just gonna simply logically realize that okay, he is indeed right. <laughs> I, you know, there's no if if this guy dies, there that's I, I have to do this right now. Like, oh goodness. He he's such an anchor in every scene that he's in. I can't think of anything post Star Trek I ever saw him in where he was just not the guy you wanted to pay attention to, even when he was just sitting quietly of, uh, behind tented fingers and observing. Yeah, well, and, and that T.J. Hooker episode. I mean, not a good show, <laughs> but... Bold nice statement. Bold <laughs> statement. This is, this is charity hour here in The Incomparable. Adrian Zemed did some of the best butt skidding across the hood of a car I've seen in any 80s series, and I'll stand by that. Of the two series that Heather Locklear was in simultaneously on ABC Ooh. in the 80s, that was one of them. That was one of them. It is the series that gave us the phrase, your life isn't worth baloney on a stick. So, you know. Um, have you ever had baloney on again, a stick? Mm, not that good. Once again, to have to act, act in that environment, just like being in the styrofoam scenery as Desilu, <laughs> that guy should get a special Emmy. But, but the episode, and I remember watching it when it aired, where you know, Leonard Nimoy is guesting on TJ Hooker. And and he gets he gets to be the emotional one. He gets to be... This uh, father who's who wants vengeance for whatever happened to his daughter, and and he actually hauls off and and decks Hooker at one point, 
which is great. But again, you know, you can't take your eyes off him. That's who you want to see the story about. You don't care about T.J. Hooker, who then goes running along a wall and jumps on a school bus. (laughs) (laughs) As you do. He was also the voice of Galvatron in the Transformers movie. Yes. Yay. Which uh, I enjoyed immensely as a kid. Yeah, sure. (laughs) Orson Welles was in the Transformers movie. That was his his last film. He was Omnicron. (laughs) Yeah. The giants of, uh, of acting in the Transformers cartoon. Uh, that's a that's a punchline. Actually, that's a punchline from Star Trek Four, isn't it? The the ah the giants, the collective giants, works Carol of Robbins Karen Rollins and, and Jacqueline Suzanne. Suzanne yeah. Oh, mm. uh, so I have a. Uh, I just wanted to mention um, nobody made pseudo scientific claptrap sound more realistic in the seventies <laughs> than Leonard Nimoy as the narrator of In Search of. Oh man! I, I learned so much every week. about the Easter Island statues and the chupacabra. I don't know. Was there a chupacabra? <laughs> Probably. But then, but it made it. But Mr. Spock was explaining it to me, and therefore it was totally true. It had to be science, right? Because Mr. Spock was talking about UFOs and and the theory of Atlantis and you know ESP. Well, and and it's funny. There, if you look at the the list of all the episodes for In Search of, you know, and again, it's yeah, the Loch Ness monster and Bigfoot and all the things that were hip in the. 70s right and and there's one episode in search of vincent van gogh and apparently he agreed to do the series as long as he could do one episode where he went overseas needed and that's where he did all the research for the the vincent van gogh play was doing the episode for in search of and it's it's bizarre because it's not at all like and you know there's nothing weird or supernatural about vincent but okay whatever but you know it worked it paid the bills (laughs) uh but and and I, I remember when when I first discovered Jonathan Colton and, you know, and I'm listening to all the songs going, oh, man, I love this guy and getting to Under the Pines. And the first time through, I guess it was the first verse, I'm going, what the hell is this song about? And then I realized it's a song from the point of view of Leonard Nimoy to Bigfoot. And it that just blew my mind that. Not only the concept, but that anyone would think of writing a song from Leonard Nimoy to Bigfoot. Well, who wouldn't? It's obvious. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So uh, I, I uh, used to listen to the Golden Throats uh, album that it featured uh, not only not only Lucy and the Sky with oh, Diamonds yeah. from William Shatner, uh, but, yes. but uh, If I Had Too a Hammer. Too soon, man. Too soon. By... If I had a hammer. So in, the, in that These Are the Voyages book, they make it clear that basically um, they were merchandising anything and everything they could that first year because they didn't know if this was going to last. And they the, and some record company said, yeah, we want to do a Star Trek album. And it ended up being like Mr. Spock's Music from Space or something like that. Yeah, Music from Outer Space. Oh, man. Which, which I, the, I own that album. Oh, really? The Ballad of Bilbo Baggins mm-hmm. uh, is haunting. Yeah. Unfortunately. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I remember that from Doctor Demento. Mm-hmm. Yeah, highly logical. Yep. Double barrel carburetors have great place, but you never can find a parking, parking space. Oh man, highly illogical. Uh, Andy, do you have a memory of this? I know that Dan Warren does of the him introducing like the science show at the planetarium or something in Boston. Yes, yes, the, Hayden Planetarium. The, uh, uh, the, the science uh, center. The the, the yeah the, the the planetarium at the Museum of Science right. had this be- this is this is Boston and it was this huge huge tour of the enti- of the entire city uh including 
the 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 I don't remember his uh, dialogue as much as I remember. This is a before IMAX. They also had like multiple projectors behind the screen. The planetarium. It was like just a huge like Cinerama style movie. And I just basically it's a high speed film where you drive all the way through Boston and to the coast, <laughs> and then you get into a lobster boat. It's, oh look, these people want to see a lobster. When the lobster uh. then shoves a, shoves a lobster <laughs> right into the camera and it like, surrounds you with its claws. But yeah, I mean L- Nimoy's narration talked about the history and the, the districts. It must have been a little bit painful though because uh, there is not a West End of Boston. There used to be. Uh, but then it was torn down in like urban renewal oh, in the yeah. 50s. And that is, of course, that was his hometown. That's where he was born. That's where he uh, took his acting lessons. This is where he uh, his family raised him. Uh, and so he had to give this long, long tours of the Boston. The Boston's north end is filled with culture. The south end. Yes. Where the, then, well, let's, the east end. Well, that's the harbor. Well, well OK. And we can't talk about the west end because that's where the, ele- the elevated highway is. Well, isn't that isn't that I guess a we're done. bowl of yes. – <laughs> <laughs> This – is a test of the Mugar Omni Theater sound system. Who put the bump in the bump? Shabomp, shabomp. Who put the ram in the ram? A lamb, a ding dong. But yeah, that's we've. It's uh, there's actually there's actually a lot of discussion about where is that film now because they the Museum of Science has not released it. There's some bootleg film of people who just managed to sneak some sort of video camera because you know it's a the tourists were there, so people did like shoot video of it. That was before you know the recording industry was like militant. It's yeah, it's it's a big piece of Bostonia. The uh, well, I have a hammer, and I have <laughs> a bell, and I'm going to ring it. All over this land. <laughs> uh, you got to love that, actually. That you got to love the shameless tie-ins. And he was happy to provide poetry. He was a good sport. And, absolutely, <laughs> and read into that. Oh, what else? Uh, what else do you guys want to talk about uh, on this on this subject? I I uh, I've run out of my notes of of the various things that I wanted to talk about. But we can go anywhere you want with this. There's a show that um, well, it's a movie. It was like it was a pilot from the early '70s called baffled i think where he is a race car driver who develops psychic powers and then the series was going to be him using his psychic powers to help save people every week and it sounds ridiculous but it's not bad ah. but of course the reason it's not bad anymore <laughs> the wikipedia page says baffled is a uh, pilot for a television series uh, the story is part of the occult detective subgenre <laughs> Well, like Col- <laughs> yeah. Kolchak, I guess. What? What is that? How big is that subgenre? <laughs> <laughs> That's like apparently, apparently there were some. But yeah, it's it's not bad. I mean, you know, early seventies occult crime drama. Mm. But that's weird. It's it's fun. It used to <laughs> pop up every now and then on on the the independent stations when I was younger. And uh, yeah, if if you come across it. I'm, it's probably on YouTube at this point. Well, I guess we should mention that he also directed uh, Three Men and a Baby in addition to Star mm-hmm. Trek Three and Star Trek Four, which was the highest grossing film of 1987. Yep. <laughs> and and uh, Funny About Love with Gene Wilder. Also also his contributions to The Simpsons. He, anyone who yeah, started yeah. the monorail episodes oh, of The Simpsons. Yes. <laughs> oh, man. Talk about a, a cherry on the top of an already big cherry on top of a, of, of a career. The cosmic my, dance goes on. As himself in the Marge versus the monorail. It was fantastic. My work here is done. <laughs> you didn't do anything, didn't I? Didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> the uh, I like that. Uh, I like that he 
he became friendly with uh, with Zachary Quinto actually while they were working on Star Trek. I thought that was Zachary Quinto had a nice post today about his friend Leonard. That I, you know that that's got to be weird. I mean, we talked about like acting against Chris Pine, but it's got to be weird, right? To be like, yeah, you're <laughs> Spock now. Um, and we, I know when we talked about the original uh, or you know the the J.J. Abrams reboot movies, um, we talked about the idea of trying to trying to transform these characters into not one actor one character but into you know i think jj abrams said think of it like shakespeare you know you got these parts they're classic parts now you're doing them but uh if you're leonard nimoy that had to be very strange to see somebody else trying to be mr spock for the first time and uh yet uh you know it sounds like they actually bonded over being mr spock and having to put on those ears (laughs) you've seen that that car ad they did they did a wacky super bowl commercial (laughs) I couldn't tell you what car it was for now, whether it was Audi or Mercedes-Benz or Volkswagen. Uh. But, you know, it was a foreign car. But it's delightful. And the long version of the ad is is hilarious. The two of them are great together. That's a good one. I'm going to I'm looking it up now. Audi. Yeah. Uh You know, that was in my head. I was thinking it was Audi, but I couldn't remember for sure. So it was a good ad because it was effective and it was a bad ad (laughs) because it wasn't. Yeah. (laughs) As are all the best. And it must have been weird, too, because, you know, Chris Pine... Uh, is kind of has the spirit of Captain Kirk, but he doesn't look like William Shatner all that much. Right. Yeah. Zachary Quinto is like a dead ringer for for Spock for young Leonard uh, Nimoy. Yeah, for young Leonard pretty Nimoy. Close, yeah, yeah. So that must have had an extra added weirdness. Weirdness, I imagine. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you can. Uh, uh, one of the obituaries I read today said, uh, you know, fifty fifty years in the business. Basically, 50, 60, 60 years in the business. I mean, depends on where you count, but a long, long career um, embraced this character, was loved and, you know, it's an iconic role. Um, you know, I, I, I just I, I kind of can't think of a better life led than than Leonard Nimoy's. He, he came to terms with being part of this cult phenomenon and this character that was iconic he was able to do his art do his photography um got to still do some acting when he wanted to um i don't know i I, as as lives go you gotta you gotta say he 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 did it right he didn't he people liked him they liked working with him they you know it's a he seems to have gotten a gotten a pretty high score on this thing as far as i can tell I, I can't remember who it was I saw tweeting earlier, but someone said that, uh, you know, as an artist, as a person, um, if you measure a person's life by how much joy they brought to how many people, his is going to be hard to top. Yeah. You know, Jim Henson. Maybe, yeah, yeah, right. You know, but but it's there's a certain rarefied group. Well, and the people who met him, you know, definitely felt touched by him. Um, yeah. Will Will Wheaton had a had a beautiful post today where he said, I didn't get to know him. He was on the show after I left. I never really got to know him as a person. But from everything I've heard, everybody that I know that I'm very close with loved him. And and he was he was as wonderful as I always hoped he would be when I was a little kid watching Star Trek. I loved his persona on Twitter the last few years. He was a great yeah. tweeter. Of, you know, and, and every like everything was like a one liner and it all ended with LLAP, Live Long and Prosper. But yeah. he was he would he did a lot of things as like, listen to grandpa. <laughs> well, <laughs> stuff, I'll be your grandfather. I'm your so if you don't have a grandparent, I'll be your grandparent. Yeah. Three or four years ago, it was like, 
Anyone here who wants to make me an honorary grandpa? Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. I'm here. I'm here. You know, his final tweet is one is just a beautiful thought. And, no, he he wins that. Nobody is ever going to yeah. send a better final tweet ever. Yeah. I, I showed it to, to the, the 13-year-old today, and, and he, he just sort of teared up for a second. It was like watching Wrath of Khan again. It's like and, – and, you know, he, you know he, he wasn't really reacting. And then I showed him and I was like, oh, wow. Yeah. Because, you know, he's 13. He isn't thinking about things like that yet. And he doesn't, he doesn't need to. His final tweet was, yeah. a life is like a garden. Perfect moments can be had but not preserved except in memory. Live long and prosper. And he did. And he did. I don't know. It's very sad. But at the same time, um, like I said, life life well lived. It's hard. You don't wanna you don't wanna let them go and it's sad that they're gone, but um boy, it is so much better to to have that kernel of what a great life this person lived and um how many people they touched and um you know, when I say it can be easily come across as facile when I say something like, you, you know, that's a pretty high score in life. But, you know, that that's my, my point is that that um, we should all live long lives and uh, touch as many people and seem to be at such peace and ease with their life as Leonard Nimoy was. That is uh, that I, you could not ask for much more than that, I think. And I mean, he'll 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 live on as, as you know, as people write. More fan fiction and more things, you know, like Holmes and Watson, you write because it's Holmes and Watson. There there wasn't a definitive thing to begin with. It was it all came from the stories. But with this, I mean, even even with things that are adapted like Harry Potter, yeah, okay, there's a lot of Harry Potter fan fiction, but you're still starting from the books. Whereas in this, you really when you're writing, when you're creating a story with these characters, you're hearing Shatner and Nimoy. Yeah. You know. It's you. You just can't. And as good as the the new movies are, you still hear it. Well, I mean, like I said, Zachary Quinto is doing Spock, right? But Spock is Leonard Nimoy. Spock is a was a collaborative creation of Leonard Nimoy and writers and producers, and a lot of it was Leonard Nimoy. So yeah, you but, know, but bigger bigger than that, even like we acknowledge that the character of Spock had a lot of parents with a lot of contributions but the way that he that that character was implemented on screen mm -hmm. was 100% Nimoy and then if you mm. just think forward that every single actor in every single Star Trek movie or TV show <laughs> that has ever played a Vulcan is doing yeah. a Leonard Nimoy impression. Or, or, or an out, I mean, you could argue, or an outsider figure all of, where there always is one. They are, they are Mr. Spock is hanging over them, right? Mr. Spock the, the, is the, the well, not just not, well, not, not I, no. I, I want to give him credit for uh, for the the way that Vulcans are depicted. Oh, sure. Star Trek. No, he owns because that. You see, you'll see. There's, there, there's some. There's some. There, there is no one person that invented. Here's here's what well, here's what Klingons sound like, and here's how they behave. And there, there are so many other uh, series and franchises. You'll see. Well, I'm I'm a member. I'm a member of, of of the Boo Boo race. But hey, I'm I'm the energetic one that kind of talks like Paul Lynn, But I'm the gruff one who. Kind of talks like this. He created a template that was so sturdy that it was like, nope, 
this is how you define a Vulcan. If you do not yes. speak, if you do not make the same choices that he made, choices that can be applied generation after generation in scene after scene, character after character, they still work. I don't. Th- I, I I'm not saying that he was the greatest actor who ever lived. That's such a stupid thing to say about any superlative. But I don't think you'll find an achievement that is more impressive than that. I agree. I, I, I my my impression is I'm I'm impressed because not only is it all the physical, but so many other aspects of his personality that you could normally ascribe to well that was the way the character was written the a lot of that came from him too so in addition to all the physicality there are a lot of other points too but you're absolutely right i'm sure that if you're tim russ or what jolene blaylock um you you sat down with mr spock (laughs) to learn how to be a vulcan (laughs) right it's always amused me how you know, you look at all the different alien races and Klingons are Klingons and Andorians are Andorians. And there's not really, yeah, I mean, certainly with Andorians, there's not that much defining them except blue and antennae, right? And um, and weird fur outfits. And uh, with with all the Vulcans, I mean, yes, you, you still get Mark Leonard and you still get Jolene Blaylock and you still get Tim Russ and their personalities are still there. But it's that's exactly it it's there's there's just this essence of spock to all of them that comes through that wouldn't be there if it hadn't been leonard nimoy before we go i have one more story to tell which is you know mr spock does the vulcan hand gesture and yet it's become to re- recommend or, or or represent uh trekkies and trekkers and whatever else star trek fans want to call it. star trek fans let's call them that i like that uh so i was on a cruise in hawaii in like 2003 i want to say 2002 it was the it was the, the mac cruise but it was also the same cruise ship was a uh star trek cruise and the luau that they did the day the, the night before that the ship took off was well, that took off it's not a spaceship it's a boat <laughs> Sailed away. Quite a cruise. You said too much. Enterprise of the sea. It was a space cruise. The the uh, so it's like in Hawaii, and uh, and and Andy was there on the cruise. Yeah. Um. And uh, so the luau beforehand was all the Star Trek people and all the 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 computer people. It was a Mac cruise and a Pearl cruise. It was a whole like thing. Lots of nerds were there of various kinds. Um. And the thing that it, one of the things that impressed me the most actually was that George Takei was there. And when they introduced him at the Luau, he stood up and he got the huge George Takei smile and gave the Vulcan hand signal. And part of me was like, wow, that is really a symbol of, uh, of being a Star Trek fan. And then the other part of me was like, Mr. Sulu is not a Vulcan and does not do the Vulcan <laughs> hand symbol. Excuse me, Mr. Takei, but I, I think you I fine. pointed that out the next morning. He did not take that. <laughs> oh. Fortunately, we were in a hot tub, so we were both very relaxed. <laughs> That's good. About two years ago, uh, they do the, the TEDx Broadway, which is all about theater and Broadway and all, whatever. And two years ago, I, I got to go, and George Takei was one of the speakers. And he gets up and, and he talks about this, his uh, Japanese internment camp show that he wants to bring to Broadway, and he finally is. And But he ends it, you know, there's a little bit of PowerPoint, but there's not much. But the very last thing, all of a sudden, boom, there's the Enterprise. And he just starts into, uh, these are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. And and you could tell the the Trek fans in the audience because they all started mouthing it along with him. And at the end, he does the, the symbol and, and, and like a whole bunch of us raised our hands. And uh, I look over at the, the friend I went with and, and he's doing it because I could hear him. And and I just looked at him, and he looked at me. He said, 
aren't you doing it? I said, I'm doing it silently in my head. Uh, <laughs> Shut up. I, <laughs> also, you know, when I, what, something I, I wanted to mention, I forgot to mention it is, um, I talk about that journey that Leonard Nimoy took from rejection to acceptance of Spock and, and really kind of having it be thinking of the good things that it brought him and, and, and just accepting that, that he and Spock were going to be inseparable and that was okay. And in fact, that was good. So in Galaxy Quest, um, Dr. Lazarus, um, it's, it, it is Leonard Nimoy's story in Fast Forward. Because essentially... Mm. Uh, the Alan Rickman character, Alexander Dane, he is a classically trained actor, um, like Leonard Nimoy was a stage actor, and he gets in this silly TV show, and now everybody is spouting philosophy to him, and he rejects it, and he thinks it's ridiculous. And by the end, he has that touching moment with a, with the Thermian who dies and and says that, I you know, I've lived my life by your teachings and I, this is an important philosophy to me and he has that moment where he says this is really important to people and, make, and it matters in their lives and that means I matter in their lives and I have to respect that and, and, that, and he turns at that moment and it really, it really changes that character to, of, the, of the actor playing the part to understand how much it meant and I always viewed that as being the Leonard Nimoy journey in a, in a compressed time frame um, and it's a, it's my favorite thing in Galaxy Quest is that is that scene where he realizes over the dying alien that that this silly thing that he's been disparaging really matters to people. It really is part of the immense burden that Nimoy and the rest of those like A line characters have. That even if they uh, have come to peace with the show, even if they truly love this show, they can never fully appreciate that. Every time they have 30 seconds with a fan, that can be such a momentous time for that person. They have no idea. There are people who were going to kill themselves that found the strength to move forward because, of, well, what would if I were in the Star Trek universe, what would my character do? What would Spock do? What would what would, what would McCoy do? That the this fandom can have good aspects to it and bad aspects to it, but there's some people who have very – uh, unfortunately, who that that is the thing that they cling to that gives them that tether uh, to reality, despite the fact that it's fiction, and the burden that these actors have to know that I can't, I don't care how tired I am, I have to give this person a smile, I have to shake their hand when I get a letter from somebody, I, m- I might be getting a letter that is just absolutely shocking and puts me in this horrible position of I have choice A or choice B, either one of them will cause irreparable harm to this person if I screw it up. I, I cannot imagine I, I, there. I, I'm, maybe some of us have been in this position because we write so much for so many things. Sometimes you will get uh, an email from somebody or a letter from somebody that refers to something that you even completely forgot you said that, gee, you know, that, that really came at the absolute right time and it really helped me out a lot. And I'm like, I had no idea that these right. – with a casual gesture that I could even have that kind of power. To do that for millions and millions of people, I do not understand what that burden must have been like for that yeah. man. Well, and especially – you know, you always hear the stories of uh, Martin Luther King encouraged Michelle Nichols to stay on the yeah. show and be an example. But how many people haven't said that about Spock, right? I know a lot of, of people – who who said, you know, well, I was an outsider or I was an outcast or I was a, a, a different ethnicity in, in the school I went to. And and Spock gave me the strength to be there, to to be the smart person off to the side. I could be cerebral in, in you know, or like Will Wheaton was saying in his in his post uh, when when they played 
on on uh, the playground. He would he would eventually talk the kids into playing Star Trek, and they didn't always want to. And and but he didn't want to be Kirk. He always wanted to be Spock because he could be the cerebral weird kid that he mm. was normally, right? Yeah. And and you don't hear about that because you know who who even thinks about that? Who who would think to say that? It was like, hey, I. I identified with Spock because of this, and this was a powerful thing for TV in 1967. It's a little bit of our cultural history. It's a little bit of our childhood, and uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know what else to say. I think he he lived a great life and left a great legacy, and we'll miss him, and we will always have Mr. Spock. I would like to thank my guests for taking some time to talk to me about this uh, this iconic character in this life, well led David Lore. Thank you for being here. Thank you, as always. Andy Anatko, thanks so much for uh, joining us tonight. Young Andy, at some point you're going to ask an intern at Mac user how to how to do HTML. This will start a relationship that will be very fruitful to both of you for the rest of your lives, and I encourage you to pursue it. <laughs> Little message to young Andy. <laughs> and uh, Scott McNulty, thank you. Thank you for having me on. You, you can go back to your random trek now where you will uh, tear up a little bit perhaps the next time you get a classic series episode. That's right. I'm thinking of doing a special random track oh, that is non-random. That would be great. Oh, uh, yeah. Mm. That would be awesome. Although it would break all the formats and all the random track listeners would be like, what is Scott doing? He's madman. But yeah, I think it would be great. Just, what, just, just shave your beard into a goatee for the recording oh. of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> It'll work. It's a mirror, mirror universe where it's Scott. not random and specific. Oh, that's right. I like it. In, in the mirror universe, it's all chosen ahead of time. And it's two hosts and one of them must kill the other by the end of the podcast. <laughs> kill us both, Spock. <laughs> Put him in the agony booth. <laughs> Thanks to everybody out there for listening to this special episode of The Incomparable. We will be back next week with a regular episode that probably will be about Star Wars. So set your set your phasers, phasers on, stun. on stun and your blasters <laughs> to full. That's right. I love Babylon Five. <laughs> Scott, what would you look like in a in a in a in a sash and ceremonial dagger? I think you could carry that off. Uh, that's what I'm wearing right now, and nothing oh. else. Oh my. <laughs> I guess I'll say it. Live long and prosper. We'll see you next time. Space. The final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. Their ongoing mission to explore strange new worlds. To seek out new life forms and new civilizations. To boldly go where no one has gone before. SG-1, the science fiction TV series. The Twilight Universe. The uh, original Tron. The 1989 film The Wizard, starring Fred Savage. Last action hero. Oh, that's harsh. (laughs) 
I read everything I could get my hands on um, from analysis to backlash. And eventually I was like, you know, why don't I just read it? I love the show a lot. And I feel like it's not even in the conversation. And when it comes up, it's just people don't even want to bring it up. So you buried the lead there. Fred Savage. <laughs> I really think a lot of it came from the fact that kids saw it in this movie. It rode on the coattails of we're going to see this movie that you see Super Mario Brothers 3. Oh, really? Audiences did not like it. They thought it was weird. Uh, it, to this day, only has, I think, a star and a half on Netflix. This was actually very difficult for me. I, I nearly took uh, Taylor Swift's new album, 1989. No, no, no. Now I have to go out and find somebody who loves it. Right. I mean, that's what you hear. But, you know, why don't you ask a woman about them for real, you know? <laughs> So hang on, let's rewind a minute here because we, we've, we've gotten quite in depth quite quickly. And, uh, and I realized that he hates you too for the same reason that I hated the Rolling Stones. By any objective measure, The Wizard is not a great movie. It's not even a good movie. It, it's barely competent. If you want to look at this as a Commedia dell'arte style presentation of tropes, it succeeds admirably. <laughs> and then they called him and they said, well, you know, you're cheaper than Alan Rickman. Will you do it anyway? That is crazy. I hadn't, I didn't know about that at all. That is, that's wonderful. It's really amazing. They put, they put bowling balls, they put bowling balls in, in a video game and put it in a bowling alley. Cause that makes sense. <laughs> Fun is underrated. All this and more starting Monday, March 2nd on the incomparable network. <laughs>